This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Episode 39, Finding a Crew. My son just turned 25 a few days ago. But 10 years ago, when he was entering high school, I posted a question on the Parenting Beyond Belief Facebook page. It said, how do you help your kids achieve a sense of belonging? I'd been thinking about this because my son was kind of solitary heading into high school. Didn't seem to have a strong connection to other people at that point, a sense of belonging to any group. That's not automatically a problem. I'm a solitary guy myself. But I wondered if it was something we should have thought more about as he was coming along. So I asked the parents on the Facebook page, how do you help your kids achieve a sense of belonging? And some people were outraged at the very question. They said it brings to mind tribalism and division, us versus them. And one said, this doesn't sound like something an atheist parent should even ask. It sounds like a question from a religious parent. Another one said it was very disappointing. I'm a member of the human race, that's all I need. All right, well, I always loved that idea. I'm a member of the human race, a citizen of the world. That's the dream, right? But the other half of the thread said, yes, please, this is a big issue for us. We really struggle with this. I'd love to see this discussed. And for all the good things we did for our kids, I think we didn't consider early enough how we could help them establish the ability to connect with other people and to establish a sense of belonging to a group or a community finding a crew. Now, like I said, I'm not a social person myself, not a belonger. I'm an introvert and really happy that way. The coronavirus lockdown has been mostly fine with me personally, mostly. I'd rather spend three hours in a book than 30 minutes at a party. So when I rejected religion intellectually, I was also able to walk away from the social and emotional benefits of religion, the multi-layered sense of belonging that religious people have, just because of who I am. Religious and non-religious people both tend to think of religion in terms of beliefs. In fact, there's a reason to believe that we overestimate the importance of the beliefs to religious people and greatly underestimate the importance of identity and belonging. There's been some great sociology done about the benefits of congregational life. You know the old finding you hear once in a while that Churchgoers are happier than non-churchgoers. They have a higher life satisfaction. A study came out the year before my Facebook question that put an asterisk on all that. The study found that people with the highest life satisfaction were churchgoers with close friends in the congregation. Next were non-churchgoers, and the lowest level of life satisfaction in the study was churchgoers without close friends in the congregation. 
It's really interesting. One of the researchers said, the life satisfaction boost is almost entirely about the social aspect of religion rather than theology. People are more satisfied with their lives when they go to church if they build a social network within their congregation and gather on a regular basis for activities that are meaningful to the group. The sense of belonging seems to be the key to the relationship between church attendance and life satisfaction. It's not about God after all. That study was part of the reason I was even thinking about that question. Not that it should have surprised me. I was an anthropology major and I knew all about primates being social animals and the negative emotional effects of too much isolation on individuals. I knew that. But I think my own introversion kept me from considering that as much as I should have when my kids were growing up. Even though I'm usually happy being alone, there are other times when I've felt lonely and vulnerable. At those times, being a citizen of the world just wouldn't do it. I couldn't wrap my mind around the whole world. I needed a subset of humanity that I belonged to, a community within that whole that I could identify with. And I think that's what we need to help our kids find as well and to keep finding it as they go through life. Belonging isn't just a religious thing, it's a human thing that religion has addressed. And just like charity and the search for meaning and meditation and comfort in times of loss and all sorts of other valuable things, we need to help kids in non-religious families find other ways to satisfy that need to connect with others. It doesn't have to be anything like church. It was the band for me, marching band, jazz band, concert band as a kid, all the way through college. That was my crew. That was part of my identity. It wasn't a toxic kind of belonging. We didn't have factional conflicts with the choir kids. Even if it was just putting a concert or a halftime show together. It meant a lot to me to have that community. And I never in my life had an itch for anything more closely resembling a church community. But here's the thing. Our kids might. I'm not talking about kids developing an unquenchable longing for the redemptive blood of Christ. That's not at all unheard of either. But I'm not talking about that here. I'm talking about a much more basic human desire for a more formal, even congregational kind of community. The fact that it is so not my thing does not mean my entirely secular kids won't develop a desire for that kind of thing, even if they remain entirely secular. Now, I've seen a lot of atheists simply short-circuit at this idea. Ask the typical movement atheist to describe an atheist, and he or she will typically describe a movement atheist. People who join the organizations and go to conferences and read the blogs, own the identity on social media. That was me for years. Less so now, but still more than a lot of atheists. I think one of the healthiest things that movement atheists can realize is that we do not represent the average American non-believer. The people who built this movement are not typical. We're science-minded loners, for the most part, with little need for the social connection that religion provides. That's why 
we were able to walk away from it, to build a movement of people who didn't want or need the things that religious community provides. But as non-religious identity has grown in the past 30 years, we've made the mistake of thinking that all those people who share our worldview, 20 million, 40 million, whatever numbers you want to latch on to, all of these fellow non-believers are just like us. They're not. When somebody who left their church but still feels the pull of community creates an experiment like Sunday Assembly, a lot of movement atheists will howl, we don't do that. We aren't looking for community. It reminds us of the oppressive groupthink that we left behind and we run the other way. I can't tell you how many times I've heard some form of that. And the thing that bothers me about it is that unexamined we. I remember an article in a prominent Freethought magazine years ago that did pretty much the same thing. It was titled, Why Seculars Don't Sing. Something about group singing representing unthinking assent to an idea. And the author didn't say why I don't sing, or why people like me don't sing, or even why seculars shouldn't sing. He made a sweeping assumption about secular people as a group, and it's one that simply doesn't hold up. Even if my kids end up every bit as non-theistic as I am, there's a really good chance that they will vary from me in its expression. Our personal history is different. I was raised in a mild, kind of nominally Christian home, so I have fewer allergies to religion than friends of mine who were raised in toxic religion. A lot of them want nothing to do with anything that has ever been associated with religion, including ritual and regular communal gathering and even group singing. I remember once being in a workshop for leaders of non-religious organizations. This is when I was running Foundation Beyond Belief. And we were going through this what-if scenario in small groups. Here's the prompt. Imagine that a millionaire has purchased one church in each of 20 cities, including yours. And they've invited free thought groups to submit proposals to move into the building with rent and utilities paid for for 10 years. Now, during those 10 years, you would build programs to make use of the facility and build towards self-sufficiency so you could take over the costs when the 10 years are up. Two questions. Would you apply? And if so, what would you create with the opportunity? Now, I thought the first question was crazy. Of course I'd apply. Who would turn this down, the opportunity to have a physical building, a place? It's one of the main things we lack. But the very first person in our group to speak, the director of one of the largest atheist organizations in the country, said, no way, I wouldn't apply. My members would never step foot in a building that used to be a church. I was just stunned by that. It's a building. Do you think the hymns seeped into the bricks and mortar? But I shouldn't have been stunned. If I want non-believers with allergies to be more understanding of those without them, it has to go the other way as well. Now, others like me with less emotional scarring from religion can more freely pick through the ruins of the temple for things that are useful. But my kids have even fewer allergies than I do. And I think that puts them in the best possible position to think clearly about the options they have, including satisfying their needs for connection to others. So if they want a godless congregation, there's Sunday Assembly, Unitarian Fellowships, 
ethical societies, Quaker meetings, lots of options. But what I'm talking about, really, the idea of belonging, doesn't have to be congregational at all. Music ensembles can do it. That was my crew all the way through junior high and high school and college. It was much more than an activity for me. It was a community and a big part of my identity. It broke the world down into a smaller group where I was known, where I had a context and a purpose, where everybody knows your name. Now, years later, I'm in a community corral. We had to take two years off for corona reasons, and my introverted self missed it. Not just for the singing, but for the community, for the belonging, for the gathering on a regular basis for activities that are meaningful to the group. I missed it. Now, my kids were never in music ensembles, which is surprising, but I think in part because elementary schools don't have music programs anymore, at least where we live. So they didn't get that automatic community that my wife and I both had in school. That would have been fine, but I sometimes feel that we didn't do enough to encourage them into another kind of community. Sports can do it, and all three of my kids did some of that, but it never really took. Clubs built around shared interests, volunteering, all examples of gathering on a regular basis to participate in meaningful activities that connect us to others. It's a thing I think we should think about for our kids, even if we don't ourselves feel the same need. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers.